So one of the advantages of preaching now for 20 years is I'm not apologizing anymore. Sometimes when I first started preaching and I would talk about a tough subject, I would kind of be a little apologetic. And I remember one of the ladies in my church said, you need to stop apologizing. So I ain't apologizing for nothing I'm saying this morning. I'm going to talk about a pretty tough subject, and it's because it's the next part of Thessalonians. One of the benefits of preaching through a book in the Bible is nobody can say, you're preaching that sermon because of me. No, I'm just preaching because it was next up to bat. All right, so that's one of the advantages of it. And so this morning, you may have seen the title already, Sex and Sanctification. And I know some people are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the pastor is going to use that word in church. Well, believe it or not, you're going to hear it outside the church far more than you want to. And I think one of the reasons we're struggling today is because for many generations we wouldn't talk about it in the church. And uh, I grew up in a Christian school with a lot of rules and regulations, but I can tell you that sex happened in our Christian school. I remember one of our young people, uh, one of my classmates, bragging about his exploitations and, uh, and those things, and occasionally the dirty magazine would be passed around uh, at the school somewhere, and we had students who got caught and got expelled uh, for having sex, and the reality is um, this is just a part of life, and it's something that we deal with, and Paul's going to talk about it. Uh, according to the National Campaign to Prevent Teen and Unplanned Pregnancy, 80 percent of unmarried young adults ages 18 to 29 who are self-identified as evangelical Christians, which is us, 80% have had sex between ages 18 and 29. Uh, Before the advent of the birth control pill in the 1960s, you basically got married and had babies. That was the way it worked. But when birth control pills came out, now couples have sex with little or no consequence or concern for marriage, or they have consequence, but concern for marriage or pregnancy. And so we're going to talk about this subject. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to head over to chapter 4 this morning. It's in the New Testament. And uh, if you find 2 Thessalonians, go left, and you'll hit 1 Thessalonians. If you hit 3 Thessalonians, we need to talk, because you have the wrong Bible. Uh, but uh, again, Paul, again, First Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica is a young church, as you all know. I've told you the history now a few times, but Paul started this church, but he had to leave town under the cover of night because they were trying to kill him. There was an angry mob that had been assembled by the Jewish leaders because they didn't like the fact that Paul had these people coming to know Christ. A lot of Jews, prominent women, were coming to know Christ. We know this from the book of Acts, which tells us about this. And so Paul and Silas and had to leave town under the cover of night. So they left this church that they had only maybe been there three weeks to two months. Uh, a young church, but Paul now has been away for a while. He's actually in Corinth is where he's writing this letter. And Paul's really concerned about this young church, what's happening to them. Of course, this is in the day before Facebook and everything else. So the way he finds out is he sends Timothy. Timothy's a young man who was with Paul. And Paul probably felt that Timothy was relatively safe and wouldn't be skewered or ran out of town. And so Timothy goes back to strengthen them and encourage them. And Timothy comes back to Paul and says, hey, good news, Paul. These people got it together. This is a healthy church. 
They've turned from their idols. They're serving the one true God. They, they're laboring out of self-sacrificial love. They're driven by their faith. And, and they, are, they are a healthy church. In fact, Paul, they're, they're imitating the apostles and, and what they're doing. They're obviously imitating Christ. They're imitating the churches of God. I mean, these people really have it together. And so Paul it talks about this in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. And he talks about how encouraged he's been by their ministry and how much they're encouraging him and how much they're an encouragement to other churches. And wow, you guys are doing awesome. In chapter 4, he switches gears and says, okay, but... We're going to talk about a few things that you guys need to be aware of here in chapter 4. So from, the, from now on to the end of the letter, Paul's going to talk about some practical things. And one of the things that he talks about starting in chapter 4, the first topic after talking about how encouraged he is, is the first topic he talks about is sex. Um, because he's talking to this church here about that. And again, I know some people are shocked that I would say that from the front, but that's okay. Uh, because we're going to hear it all the time in our sitcoms. It's out there in the things. In fact, let me just share with you a few statistics. Some of you may find this unbelievable, but I can tell you it's not unbelievable. In research studies done primarily by the Barna Group and a group called Covenant Eyes, over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. There are 42 million porn sites on the internet with approximately 370 billion pages of porn. The porn industry's in, uh, national revenue, annual revenue, is more than the NFL, the NBA, and the um, MLB combined. They make more money in the porn industry than NBC, ABC, and CBS combined in a year. 47% of families in the United States say porn is a problem in their family. In fact, porno uh, pornography increases marital infidelity rate up to 300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography. 94% of children will receive pornography by the age of 14. 56% of American divorces involve one par party having an obsessive interest in pornographic material. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the last 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young adults aged 18 to 24, 76% actively search for porn. 56% of pastors say, said that married men seek their help for porn use. 33% of women, this isn't all about men, 33% of women ages 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. 13% of self-identified Christian women say they've never watched porn, but 87% of Christian women say they have watched porn. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation, and 69% say it's adversely affected the church. Only 7% of pastors say that their church has a program to help people who are struggling with pornography. Here's a headline. Quote, Internet infidelity. Today's blind spot threat to marriage. A growing body of research suggests that texting opposite sex can hurt a marriage. That was in psych psychology today. Here's what the article went on to say. Divorce courts 
provide raw evidence of Facebook's impact on marital relationships. In many uh, counties, as as much as 75% of the divorce cases nowadays report Facebook as part of the cause in their divorce. In fact, the article goes on in Psychology Today to say what is documented is that trivial and mundane topics that were discussed when a conversation began on Facebook quickly transitioned to marital woes and hardship and then were taken even further. Emotional confiding steadily occurred. Dissatisfaction with spouses was a prime target. And eventually the conversations included sexual dialogue discussing what they wish their spouse would do and what they would allow the other to do to them in a hypothetical situation. We're living in a culture that is porn-saturated. We're living in a culture with social media where it's easy to hook up with people. We are living in a sex-saturated culture. Now, Paul obviously did not have the Internet and did not have this, but believe me, he was in a sex-saturated culture as well. Paul, writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica, he's actually writing it from Corinth. Corinth was known for sexual immorality. In fact, if you were called a Corinthian girl, that was basically saying you were a prostitute. Okay, that's how prevalent Corinth was in their homosexuality and in their all sorts of sexual promiscuity. Thessalonica was no different. Thessalonica was a city that was very similar to to Rome, uh, to Corinth and Rome as well, that whole Roman culture. In fact, in Thessalonica, where this letter is written to, the church there in Thessalonica, in that very city, there was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love, beauty, and fertility. In, in that culture, extramarital activity, homosexual activity, all those activities were considered standard and normal. So Paul knew that this church of young believers, just like today, was going to be confronted with this whole topic of sex and how do we deal with it in our culture. And so again, Paul is writing this letter from Corinth uh, to this church uh, here in Thessalonica. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 for just a second and uh, take a look at what Paul writes to them because again, I think I've pointed out in our culture today, it is just as appropriate as it was 2,000 years ago. Here's what he starts off with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, he's writing to Christ followers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how we must walk and please God, as you are doing, and they were doing a great job, do so even more. Here's what he says. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, just starting off, he's like, okay, I've been encouraging you, telling you guys are doing a great job Keep going. You know what we've taught you. Keep living it out. And then he goes on and he expands. And here's verse 3. For this is God's will. And a lot of times people say, what is God's will for my life? Does God want me to marry this person? Does God want me to go to this church? Does God want me to take this job? Look, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know the exact answers to all those, but I do know this. This is God's will right here. Plain sight. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. And again, one of the biggest, Paul knew, one of the biggest challenges the church at Thessalonica faced, just like we do today, is this whole topic of sexual immorality and maintaining their purity in this world. Now let me define this word sexual immorality just to state it. Sexual immorality is a translation in the original language. It comes from the word pornea. So I think we all know what that sounds like, okay, from which we get pornography, okay? Sexual immorality is a term that refers to sex in any context outside of marriage between a man and a woman. 
Sex in any context outside of a marriage between a man and a woman in Scripture is sexual immorality. That's premarital sex, that's adultery, that's bestiality, that's homosexuality. Any kind of sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman who are in a married, marital relationship in Scripture is considered sexual immorality. Okay? So Paul says, it's God's will, your spiritual growth that you abstain from this. So let me give you a, a thought here. Abstinence is God's will. Now we're talking prior to marriage or with anybody who's not your marital partner. Abstinence is God's will. Again, here's what Paul says. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What does he mean by sanctification? It basically means to be made holy. It means to be set apart. God says, Paul says, this is God's will, that you be set apart, that you be made holy. And the way, one of the ways you do that is you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, sanctification, that word means a couple things. First of all, it's a positional word. Abstinence is God's will, and here's why. Because at, we are to abstain because of your position in Christ. Paul says, this is your sanctification. One aspect of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me explain that. A follower of Jesus is a person that says, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've rebelled against God. I believe Jesus died on that cross for my sin. I need him to save me. Please save me. Please save me. That is when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, when they call upon Christ to save them. That's what makes you a Christ follower, not being a member of a church, not growing up as a Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or whatever. I don't care. What makes you a believer is calling upon Christ to save you, okay, and repent of your sins. When that happens, God says, okay, you are now set apart as my child, and you now have a new position, so sanctification, there's two aspects of this. Paul says, this is God's will, your sanctification. On the one hand, Paul says, the reason you're to abstain from sexual immorality is because of your position. You've been set apart for God. God has set you apart for him. You are his child. You've been adopted into his family. You are a saint. In the New Testament, if you look at it, believers are referred to as saints. So look at your friend and say, did you know I'm a saint? I'll go ahead and do it. Oh, some of you are like, I ain't doing that. You're, if, look, if you're a Christ follower, you're a saint, all right? Are you all happy you're saints, okay? I hope some of you all are saints. Some of you all may be like, well, I don't know if I'm really. Look, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a saint. That's your position, okay? And so Paul says, you have this new position. And so because of your new position, you have, part of your sanctification is you have a new position. And your new position is you're a saint. You're adopted into God's family. And so this is God's will for you. Your sanctification, because of your position, because of who you are in Christ, you need to abstain. You need to live apart. You need to be different. And one way you do that is to avoid sexual immorality. Now, even though we're set apart, does not mean isolated, okay? As a Christ follower, we are not to be isolated from the world, but we are to be insulated from the world. Y'all following me? We're not to go live in a monastery somewhere, but on the other hand, we're to be insulated from this. 
All right, we are to be different. We are to live differently. The writer of Hebrews said that we are to that Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And yet Luke tells us that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. How did that work? Jesus was insulated, but he wasn't isolated. He still went, the sinners loved, they, they wanted to hear what he had to say, they knew he loved them, he, he, he didn't soft pedal it, he said repent, you've got to repent, but they knew he loved him. Jesus would go to the parties, he would hang out at the parties, and things like that, but he was not partaking in the sin. He was insulated, but he wasn't isolated, y'all following me? So we are set apart, sanctified, we are saints, we are set apart, we are to be insulated, but we're not to be isolated. So God's will, Paul says, you wanna know what God's will is? I'll tell you right here what it is. It is for his children not to participate in sexual immorality. Why? Because sexual immorality stagnates our spiritual health. Sexual immorality is a sin against God. In fact, notice in verse 5, Paul says this. He says, we're not to live as the heathens do. We're not, to, we're not to live like that. He says, we're not to live in lustful desires like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says, you're to be different. You're to live differently. So abstinence is God's will. First of all, because of who we are in Christ. But also, we're to abstain because of our progression in Christ. So sanctification has two parts. On the one hand, you're set apart positionally. On the other hand, you're also, though, to be set apart to progress in your spiritual growth. And so Paul says that, again, your, your sanctification, you're set apart, but at the same time, spiritual you're to be growing spiritually, and sexual immorality stagnates our spiritual growth. Uh, again, in the book of Philippians, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Here's what he said. It kind of gives you this idea of our progression. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, that's the moment of your salvation, will carry it on to completion until Christ Jesus. In other words, when you become a follower of Christ, you just don't stop there and say, hi, I'm a Christian. No, now you're supposed to be growing in your faith. You're supposed to be getting stronger in your faith. And you do that by living out God's word. One of the ways you do that is abstaining from sexual immorality. At the, at the end of this letter, 1 Thessalonians, here's what Paul writes. I'll just throw it up here on the screen. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says, may you keep growing in your faith and in your grace and in your knowledge. May you get stronger in your walk to Christ. So again, Paul's point, verse 3. This is God's will. You want to know what God's will is? Here it is. Your sanctification because of who you are positionally and also because you're to be growing in Christ that you are to abstain in sexual immorality. Again, in verse 7, Paul says this. For God has not called us to impurity but to sanctification. God has saved you to keep growing. And when you're involved in sexual immorality, you are not growing spiritually. In any way. And again, one of the, one of the issues that the Thessalonican believers face, just as the Corinthian believers face, just as we face today, was a sex-saturated culture and the constant temptation to engage in sexual immorality. And again, in our culture today, I would argue that it's probably ten times worse. 
because of the internet. There's a lot of great things. I love the internet in a lot of ways. I hate it too. I have a love-hate relationship with the internet. All right? One way, it certainly helps studying because you can just Google something and boom, it's there. And of course, everything you read on the internet is true, right? So you're, no. But, you know, you can Google something and there you go. And things that took you hours to research and books and go through these massive libraries. I have some books in my office. Honestly, they're more for show probably than anything else. Because my computer program has thousands of books that I can instantly search if I'm looking for a topic. Pretty much, you just give me my laptop and Starbucks coffee and I'm good. Okay, because it's all right there. And if I can't find it in my stuff, I can Google it and probably find something out there. But the downside is, within 10 seconds here, I can pull something up on my phone. Some of you all may be shocked at that. But it's just the reality of the world we live in. We live in a sex-saturated culture. And too often the church has ignored it, just hoping it would go away. But it ain't going away, folks. In fact, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. I don't mean to... I'll try to be... Let me just put it this way. So we, we have, y'all know, we have one son, and uh, hopefully he'll call his dad today. He will. If not, I'm getting him. But, you know, he's a geek, uh, makes big money, works downtown Chicago. He, he you know, software engineer. So he, he has in his little apartment a supercomputer he's built. And uh, one of the things I like when we go to Jeremy's is he's got these cameras on the wall and you put this headset on and you're in a three-dimensional world. Uh, He's got experimental glasses from Microsoft that aren't even available to the public that you can put on and you can see the galaxy floating in his living room and you can touch things. And it's really bizarre. I'm telling you, the porn industry, the next level for them is 3D virtual porn. And they're moving in that direction where people can put on glasses and be immersed in the scenes and in the worlds. This is the culture we're living in, is that kind of immersive culture. And so what Paul's saying to the Thessalonians is true for us. Abstain. Abstinence is God's will because of who you are positionally in Christ and because you're called to progress in your faith in Christ and because of your people. Oh, you say, what do you mean by that, Jim? Abstain because of your people. Well, look at verses 5 and 6. So Paul says, it's God's will that you abstain from lust. We'll come back to verse 4 in a minute. He says, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay? This means that one must not transgress against another and defraud his brother in this matter. What's Paul saying? He's saying you don't need to be engaged in sexual immorality like the heathens who don't know God, and you certainly don't need to be involved with it with each other. You don't need to sin against each other by doing this. Charles Stanley makes this comment. He says, in that culture, one of the common beliefs was that the soul and the body were two separate spheres. They saw these two parts as mutually exclusive, having little to do with each other. What you did with your body, and this is in the culture in which Paul's writing, what you did with your body had nothing to do with your soul as far as they were concerned. So many of the Christians were prone to worship God with the soul on their day of worship, but the rest of the week they did whatever they wanted with the body, which meant making occasional trips to the temple of Aphrodite. 
You understand what's going on? In that culture in that day, the Greek philosophical mindset, which was the main philosophical mindset of that day, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, the whole idea was that your body and your mind, your, were two, your body and your soul were two separate entities, and they really didn't connect. So the feeling was, I can go to Aphrodite on Monday through whatever, Saturday, sin with my body, but it doesn't affect my soul. That was the idea. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. This is what he hits with Corinthians too. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? What business do you have joining your body with a prostitute? But that was radical thinking for them because they had grown up thinking, my body and my soul are separate. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. It doesn't affect my soul. And Paul's like, no, they are intermeshed. And so Paul says, no, avoid sexual immorality. This is God's will for you. When you don't, this affects not only you, it also affects your relationship with God. It also affects your brothers and sisters in Christ. You must not defraud your brother. Again, sexual immorality is not something that happens in a vacuum. There's an old phrase. Y'all probably know it. It takes two to tango. That's right. It takes two to tango. Sexual immorality involves at least two parties. All right? And Paul says you shouldn't defraud your brother in that action. It involves a community. It could be unwanted pregnancy, which is going to affect the community. Adultery certainly affects the spouse or the spouses of those people who are involved. Disease can sometimes be a result, and that's going to affect the community. Again, God designed sex to be within a covenant relationship between a man and woman. If it's kept there, guess what? You don't have to worry about disease. You don't have to worry about those things. But when it goes outside of that, we start having problems. And some of you know, and some of us know, some have experienced what's happened when we transgress God's laws. It's never going to be good. He's not mean. He's trying to give you safeguards. Stay within the lane, you know? Nobody gets mad at the highway department for, why'd you put those stupid guardrails up there? I want to be able to drive over the cliff. No. The highway department puts the guardrails up so that you hit them and bounce off and don't go over the cliff. God puts the guardrails up and says, avoid sexual immorality. That's my guardrail. You want to go through it? You're over the cliff. Problem. So Paul says, avoid sexual immorality. Also, not only does it affect the community, abstinence is God's will, and here's why. We need to abstain for our protection. Look at verse 6. This means that one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter. Here's why. Because God, the Lord, is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. Paul says, let me just tell you right now, God will judge. There are consequences. How God judges is up to him. For some people, it's contracting disease, early death. Other people, there's other ways that God judges. Let me just tell you, there are consequences. Losses of a marriage, loss of relationships, loss of testimony, loss of a ministry, loss of a job, loss of a reputation. God will Judge. The writer of Hebrews told us this. He says, Marriage must be respected by all, and the marriage bed left un- kept undefiled, because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. You say, Well, why, 
Why would God judge the sexually immoral? Because sexual sin goes against God's purity. Here's what Paul says, verses 7 and 8. For God has not called us, he's speaking to Christ followers, God has not called us to impurity, but to be set apart, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit. Again, sexual immorality frustrates the purposes of God. And a lot of cults, pagan cults in Paul's day, promoted promiscuous ceremonies, sexual immorality, and things like that. And Paul says, let me just tell you, that's not God's will for you. He's called you as a Christ follower to be different. So abstain from sexual immorality. Abstinence is God's will. Abstain, here's how you do it, by practicing self-control. Look at verse 4, going back to that. Paul says, We are to abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and in honor. And I know for a lot of people, especially in our culture today, it seems impossible. For a lot of Christ followers, I want to tell you, a lot of Christ followers are caught in the trap of pornography. In our culture today, you've heard the statistics. It's a big issue. And like we said, only 7% of churches actually address it because people don't want to talk about it. And the reality is a lot of folks in our church are dying and struggling because of this. But here's the thing. We've got to talk about it. We've got to address it. And one of the things that you need to know is that, first of all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. There's two fuels I see in this verse. Number one is the fuel of honor. Paul says you need to learn how to control your own body. Sexual immorality destroys your honor. Second fuel O is the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. We need each other. We need to spend time in God's Word, but it's not a matter of just praying more. It's a matter of bearing one another's burdens. It's a matter of calling a spade a spade. It's a matter of setting up those guardrails. It's a matter of rewiring your brain. Paul says this, verse 8, Therefore the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God who also gives his Holy Spirit. God's given you his Holy Spirit. You have a helper. You have the ability through Christ to say no. Maybe right now, maybe you're watching by Facebook, maybe you're involved in sexual immorality. It's huge. You may not be physically involved, but you may be involved via pornography and things like that. It's huge. I mean, this is a huge, huge, huge issue. Now, I know some of our folks may be, I don't see that stuff. I don't look at that. If it's not a problem for you, congratulations. But you know what? Gossiping may be a problem for you, and it's not for Joe Blow over here. All right, just because your issue is not their issue doesn't mean that's not an issue. Y'all following me? Okay. And there's a lot of Christ followers. They love Jesus, but they're caught in sexual immorality. 
And we need each other. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. We need to encourage one another. But we need to know there is no playroom here. God's, Paul's not like, hey, God's okay. No, this is God's will. Abstain from sexual immorality. So my question to you is this, are you living in purity? Are you living in purity? And if you're struggling, look, let's talk. If you're watching on Facebook and you're like, man, I'm struggling with this, send us a private message. We're not here to judge you, we're here to help you. All right? I'm not here to look down on you because I'm a man just like everybody else. All right, I have a sinful nature just like everybody else. But I seek to walk and follow the Lord the best I can. And if you're struggling, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't die in silence. This isn't God's will for you. His will for us is to be holy and to enjoy our life, not constantly looking, wondering if somebody's going to find out, not constantly living under the shadow not constantly living under shame and guilt. That's not God's will for us. Are you living in purity? Let's pray. Father, we live in a culture that is saturated with sexuality. I know, Father, tonight, just in the news this week, that HBO is premiering a series tonight targeted towards teens with heavy adult nudity in it tonight. Father, our culture is driven by this. We're even on a scale that Corinthians would have blushed at. And Father, I know, because I'm not naive, that there are many in the church who are struggling. Silently, feeling helpless and hopeless. This is not your will for them. Your will for them is to live in happiness and holiness and purity. So Father, there might be women here, there might be men, there might be people watching on Facebook that are just really feeling like, I don't know what to do, where do I turn? I pray that they'll know they have a safe haven here and that we will be there and we'll do everything we can to walk with them through and give them all the tools we can to abstain from sexual immorality. Father, I pray if there's some here this morning that aren't living in purity, that they'll repent. That they'll turn from it. Father, that they'll stop running from you. And Father, they'll run towards you. So Father, I thank you this morning for this time to gather. I thank you for your word. I thank you that even though sometimes it's right in our face and sometimes it's really tough, it is truth and we need to know it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.